everyone, it's your natural dog with Angela Ardolino, and I am thrilled today because today I'm going to introduce to you my guy who formulated my mushroom tinctures with me for my dogs, and I'm so excited to introduce you to him because I feel like we finally have someone who is a true expert who has been working with mushrooms for a really long time. It's Jason Scott. He is a mycologist, an ethnobotanist, a spagyrist. He studied traditional hermetic alchemy from history to philosophy to practice for the past decade. And if you're wondering what the hell I just said, all it means is that he is my mushroom guy. All things medicinal mushrooms we're going to talk about today, how they help us, how they help our pets, how I've been able to use them to help my Doberman Nina with her osteosarcoma, Odie with his CCD, canine, you know, dementia. It is, they are amazing. What they've done for me uh, on keeping inflammation down and my health. So I'm a big fan of medicinal mushrooms and it's going to be all about them today. Stay tuned. And we're back with Jason Scott, my favorite mushroom guy. Uh, I'm going to say in the world right now because you're the only one that I know and trust. But thank you so much for coming on today. I feel like there is a huge need for people to hear directly from the mouth of the expert and someone who's been doing this for years and has perfected and, in my opinion, is creating some of the most pure products out there for the human market, which is how I found you. And I uh, first... Uh, went searching for a pure source for medicinal mushrooms that were being grown and harvested not only in the Pacific Northwest and North America and growing how they were. Wow, did that become quite a feat. The reason I started this journey is because two years ago, my dog was diagnosed with osteosarcoma. I had just started dabbling and using turkey tail and reishi and lion's mane. Um, so basically went down that rabbit hole of researching which ones would actually help her fight off this cancer, interacted with the endocannabinoid system like cannabis does. But my God, was that hard sourcing. Found the source and then the fact that I had to get each mushroom separate, all in a freeze-dried form, somehow mix it in her food, make sure I'm not giving it too much so that she won't eat her damn food. And that's kind of what made me go, okay, now I have figured out which ones work. I've got to find an easier, better way. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm saying everything from China is bad, but the pollution in China is horrific. And the mushrooms that I was using are grown outside, which is great, so they, these mushrooms have access to that pollution, which kind of made me uncomfortable. Also, during COVID, I couldn't get a lot of them because they were coming from China. There's also always the fear of contamination or something being, you know, changed when it comes over. And yes, it does get tested when it gets here. But I wanted to avoid all that. So it was very important for me to do that. So with that being said, I found the guy. It was a lot. It was hard, but I found them. And now I've got them <laughs> on the podcast because it's a surge in popularity, medicinal mushrooms. Um, and I'm guessing it's, it's stemming from this piece of research that came out. Of course, Paul Stamets telling everybody about, you know, curing his mother's breast cancer with turkey tail, with a turkey tail extract. 
So we're seeing you can grow your own mushrooms. You can, I mean, put them in your coffee, everything. The problem is most of these products, just like in cannabis, aren't what they're supposed to be. They aren't even extracted right, much less grown right. And all of that is important, just like cannabis. So mushrooms are right up there with cannabis being my favorite. And I know that mushrooms are your favorite. So Jason, thanks for being on the show. Wow. Uh, thank you. What are you seeing? You're, it, you said it's just as bad. You said it's just as bad in the human side, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, first of all, thank you, Angela, for such a kind introduction. Um, I just kind of do my best to um, source everything in a really good way and produce everything in a really good way and never really intended to um, be making mushroom extracts on such a large scale. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, the desire for it and and the need for a higher quality product out there and, you know, awesome that it's transcending the human market into the pet market as well, because I think there's a huge potential for, for the mushrooms. And I think, you know, there's, there are some kind of glaring issues, I think not only in the mushroom supplement industry, I, I think hugely in the mushroom supplement industry, because it's so new. Um, and there's only really been a few big players for quite some time that, you know, the standardization and the language and everything, it gets really confusing. But the the whole the whole health and supplement market is kind of that way. And sometimes I've mentioned this a couple of times, but sometimes I feel like I've gone to trade shows and I feel like I'm kind of like banging my head against the wall, like wondering if I'm in the right industry because, uh, you know, I got, I got into all of this by way of my um, fascination and my study of herbal and natural medicine. And I've been working with mushrooms, researching with mushrooms, playing with mushrooms, writing about mushrooms for the better part of a decade. So seeing them become really popular in the last couple of years has been, uh, you know, it's like nothing new. It's like, hey, I've been like, that's what I've been saying. Right. <laughs> so it's cool to see people kind of catching on. And I feel like the mushrooms sort of have their own intelligence in that as well. Um but yeah, I feel like you know it's a really opportune moment to be producing something that's that's a little bit more ethical. You know, I feel like people always kind of bring up the um, the quality of extracts coming out of China, and I think you know it's debatable and it's it, there's tests and everything and to say that they're better. But I think for me, the biggest part and kind of like the biggest excuse that I've heard of why people don't source things locally is because it's too expensive. And to me, that's that's a pretty big cop out because I feel like if you're not paying for it, you're paying for it in some other way. And and oftentimes when that re- relates to China, there's uh, ethical issues and there's environmental issues um, that aren't quite as heavily regulated as they are in the United States, which is oftentimes why things cost more to pr- to be produced here. Um, also, just because everything's on a smaller scale. Yeah, and I know that the Chinese were like the original using them in tri- uh, traditional Chinese medicine, just like cannabis. So I get that they are no more, have been growing, probably have species. Uh, the problem is, is that it's also one of the most polluted countries and mushrooms or bioaccumulators are going to suck everything out of the air. And then we're going to get that, or as in my case, the pets are going to get it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think people kind of have this, um, 
as with most things, have this kind of like starry-eyed uh, hope that when you say something's been tested thoroughly, you know, w- you don't really know what that means. And like batch testing things, you can test really small batches, and it, it's a little bit of a misleading sort of topic. I mean, as we've even seen recently with like the the baby formula shortages in the U.S., is it was related to. Uh, bacteria that was found in huge batches of baby formula. Right. And existed for who knows how long, right? What people need to understand is that even if it is tested, can you see that test? Can you look at that certificate of analysis and see what is actually in there and not in there? Because most of the time you can't, which we're going to talk about that, about testing mushroom products. But let's talk about how it is important what are the benefits of a, you know, what does wild crafted mean? What does wild harvested mean? Why are those important versus basically what's going on with, you know, to me, my mushroom source that I used before was growing them. They grow them in China, but they grow them, they put them on stumps in the ground and they're under tents. So they don't ever see rain or sunshine, but they do get air the air, which is what I don't want (laughs) blowing through there. Tell us what the benefits and why we should want um, something that's wild harvested and wild crafted. Yeah, definitely. Um, So we, we kind of work with both because we also don't want to strain natural stands. So we also work with growers who are doing a really good job of kind of maintaining the quality of the product that's being grown. But there is something just within herbal medicine as a whole from more of like an energetic model, uh, what you would say is like the wild crafted or wild herbs and medicines have a lot more vitality to them. Um, They're grown in their natural environment. You're not mimicking the natural environment, right? So that's kind of like when we cultivate something, whether it's like in an agricultural form and we're growing mass plots of plants or medicinal herbs or mushrooms, what we're doing is we're like mimicking the natural environment to the best of our abilities. But like with everything else, it's kind of like a little bit short-sighted of what they're actually getting in the natural environment. It's like you can't really mimic that ecosystem the same way that this ecosystem naturally exists. So it's just like, you know, uh, you know, if you're, I don't, I'm a vegetarian, but my dogs aren't. Yeah. (laughs) It's just like getting a piece of meat of a, that is a grass fed cow and grass finished cow is going to have all the nutrients. The same thing. It's like, what are the mushrooms getting that? What are they feeding off? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there is, from what we've seen from the research and there's a a pretty limited amount that's been done on kind of like the differences between the compounds and the bioavailability of the compounds between grown like cultivated mushrooms and wild uh, forage mushrooms. But um, from what we've seen so far, at least with the cultivated ones, we are hitting pretty good numbers for the different types of compounds that we are looking for, like the polysaccharides, uh, cordycepin and adenosine and cordyceps, uh, ganoderic acids and things like that. So you can get those things. The bigger picture, I think, is like, what what are we missing that we don't know to look for, which is one of the reasons why we like to use whole mushroom extracts. And that's another thing. What is a whole mushroom extract? What does that mean? Read my mind. Yeah, I think. <laughs> kind of like a full, full spectrum extract of cannabis yeah. is a big difference between. Yeah. And what's funny is that they have so much in common, but 
mushrooms become even more complicated because their mycelium is got does certain things versus their fruiting bodies and how it's extracted and whether you are including what it was grown on and the substrate and all yeah. that bullshit. <laughs> Explain that to us. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that's a, that's <laughs> another kind of big lapse in the standardization of products and the availability on the market, right? Is so right now, as we mentioned, there's kind of two primary paths on on the market for mushroom supplements and extracts, and it's going to be either mycelium grown on grain, which in the end you can't really separate the mycelium from the grain, and so you're getting the the um, alpha glucans or the the sugars as simple starches from the grain itself and not as much of the concentrated polysaccharides or beta glucans from the mushrooms themselves and then the other product is going to be a fruit body extract primarily as we've already discussed coming from china the kind of third in between is what people are calling a full spectrum mushroom extract and to me that is a made up mushroom term because what they what they mean when they say um, full spectrum in regards to mushroom extracts is that it has mycelia primordia and fruit body so what that means is like the mycelia is like the subterranean structure of the mushroom the primordia are like the little tiny buttons that start to come up of the mushrooms and then the fruit body would be what we recognize as a mushroom so when you go to the grocery store and you see like your criminy mushrooms or your shiitake mushrooms on the shelf, those are the fruit body. The biggest issue with that full spectrum is nobody tells you like what percentage of what is in there. So what you're actually getting is primarily mycelium growing on grain. And this is another thing too, is like I try not to knock things coming from China for the reasons that you mentioned where they've been doing it for a lot longer. They have their methods down there. I mean, their extraction methods and everything are, are really effective. And same with mycelium. The biggest thing and the issue that I do have with mycelium products is all of the research that we've seen on mycelium is based on pure mycelium that they're getting in what are what's known as like a submerged fermentation or like a liquid culture where they're isolating the mycelium 100% and then they're using things like really intense solvents. Is that what they're doing? Hexanes. I saw and that. Hexanes and ethers. I mean, it's just kind of like standard in the research realm is to pull different compounds. Right. So when you are looking at research of mycelium and the benefits of mycelium, it doesn't really translate to myceliated grain the same way I think that people are kind of insinuating that it does. Whereas when you work with full fruit body, that's all it is. You know what you're getting, right? right? So every all the all the sugar that you're getting, all the polysaccharides you're getting are coming from the mushroom. All of the other secondary metabolites um, or compounds in the mushrooms are from that mushroom. So it's going to be, you know, fats from the mushroom, proteins, uh, acids, things like that, that you're going to get from the mushrooms themselves. And you don't have to worry of like what's coming from the grain, what's coming from the mycelium. Also, I like to point out too, that the fruit body of the mushroom is traditionally what we've used for a really long time, right? So thousands of years in sort of clinical and non-clinical settings, the, the fruit body is what was used. I always kind of like makes me laugh a little bit to think about somebody going through, you know, in like a thousand years ago, going through the forest and finding a mushroom and 
being like, oh, the mycelium is where it's at, and then like trying to parse apart mycelium go get from it. the soil. Yeah, right. Which also wouldn't be very sustainable either. So no, good that no, we didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think there's multiple reasons, and I I feel like you know the the people who kind of have the cultural influence at this point to say that mycelium is the immune system of the mushroom is like that's a really unfounded statement. Is like the mycelium is producing necessary metabolites and some of them are definitely really beneficial for our health as well. But everything kind of gets concentrated into the fruit body of the mushroom and you're getting those compounds. And you'll you'll even like taste it. If you taste the difference between, you know, five different mushrooms as a mycelial extract, most of them are going to be somewhat sweet and that's primarily just because it's mostly rice and then if you if you taste like five different fruit body extracts they're all going to be really different with things like reishi and like um the white reishi or the ganoderma aplanatum the artist conch being like really bitter turkey tail being kind of like bitter with like a little bit of a sweetness to it and then things like shiitake and lion's mane and maitake being having a lot of that like umami like really yummy Mushroomy flavor. <laughs> the yummy flavor. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest th- issue for me right now is like there's just not a lot of standardization around, you know, what people call the mushroom products. So we try to be as transparent as possible. And until we have a verified method to be producing mycelium in a pure way, we're not going to offer it because right now you just can't really get it unadulterated you know, or if we were to ever go that route of offering that, we'd be really transparent of what it is. And it's like, this is myceliated grain, and this is what we're offering you. We're not trying to call it mushrooms because it's not mushrooms. Because when you say mushroom, it's like the mushroom is the fruit body. If you're like us, your pets are part of the family. That's why at CBD Dog Health, we created a line of human-grade, full-spectrum hemp products tailored specifically to your furry friend's needs. Whether they're suffering from fear of fireworks, arthritis from old age, or even seizures and cancer, research shows that a high-quality CBD oil can make a big difference for them. Enter coupon code RADIO at CBDDogHealth.com for 15% off your first order. That's R-A-D-I-O. CBD Dog Health. Healing naturally. So I was involved with... uh a company in the beginning when I was traveling, learning everything. I was, I was going to be a cultivator first. That's what I wanted to be because I couldn't find anybody growing it right or growing a medicinal product mm-hmm. the way it should, kind of the same way what you're doing it right. Yeah. But I met a guy in Canada who was, and he had an aeroponic system and humans didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. And it grew all the way to, to flowering without us even ever touching it. And those his roots would have cannabinoids in them yeah. because we literally were spraying, misting the roots. However, nothing compared to the flower where all of those medicinal benefits uh, live and where we want to extract all of those together, which is the same type of thing we want to do with the fruiting body of a mushroom. Yeah. The other trend I'm seeing is uh, I go to a, a holistic veterinary conference every year and there was a mushroom company there. And so I went to find out about their products, So, which made me go, oh, okay, so I have to worry about this too. A lot <laughs> of the products on the market are just dried up, ground up mushrooms. Yeah. No, no, nothing has been extracted from them. Worse, the one that was at that conference, not only do they grind up the mushroom, they grind up the substrate 
which they were growing on some sort of rice or something that was not good. I can't remember which one it was. Some mm-hmm. sort of rice or grain. They grind up everything. They take the whole thing, the mycelium, the thing, and and they don't wait for the fruiting body to completely, they just wait for it to whatever, grind up that whole thing and then put that in a capsule or a powder. And it was funny because one of my vets was like, hey, help me pick a mushroom. I'm like, sure, let's go talk to these people. And I like took his arm and like pulled him slowly away. And I'm like, that would be like if I were to chop off the flowers of my hemp plants, grind them up, and put them in a bag and sell them to you. We have not extracted. We have not gone through the extraction process. So I want people to understand that. Totally. And I think a better analogy would actually be like you're taking a premature hemp plant with all the soil that it's growing in and grinding all that up together and putting it into a capsule. I love it. And so I want people to understand that it's that this is um, just as bad, if not worse. I have watched people who just like in the cannabis industry, people who are in the pet industry rush to it, rush to hurry up and put out a product and they have no idea what they were doing or what it's doing. So literally those products, you guys have to understand, you have to take home and then you're going to have to figure out how to extract the medicinal properties out of those mushrooms yourself, which you could. We we typically say with like a dried mushroom powder that you need to boil it for approximately two hours to be able to kind of break down the chitin sufficiently enough to access the polysaccharides. And so that's kind of like the biggest um, point to what you're just saying, right, is that for humans, at least, we don't produce enough chitinase to really effectively break down the chitin, which is the cell wall material of the mushrooms. And everything is kind of like bound up in that chitin, right? So if your body's not producing enough chitin, uh, to break that down, then you're not really um, accessing the full benefits of the mushrooms, and it's essentially just kind of like passing through you. You might get some yep. things from it, right? But it's going to be cannabis. it's going to yeah. be yeah, it's going to be fairly minimal. And so, really, you know, that's one of the reasons that we primarily only offer extracted um, tinctures and things um, for for what we're doing is because most people don't understand that, and then. And then it is really confusing, just as confusing in the human market to where if you get a jar of chaga, it's like you can't just you can't just do that. Or if you get like a tea bag that has reishi in it, it's like that's you're not going to boil it for long enough for it to really break down and be effective, let alone having it be an effective amount to be in that dose. So, so yeah, extracting the mushrooms are, are really important. And I also think that there's a huge piece and, and there's kind of like... I think there's a bit of a misnomer and I don't know if it's because of, you know, like uh, voluntary ignorance or or just kind of like best wishes. But everything that we make, we we double extract. Right. So with the mushrooms, the way that their um, compounds are is you really have to do a dual extraction in order to get the both polarities of the different types of compounds that are in there. So one set or subset of compounds being like the polysaccharides or the beta-glucans coming from the mushrooms, which are kind of like the most well-known piece, are going to be primarily water-soluble. So we have to do a water extract, and then the rest of the compounds in there are usually going to be either fat or alcohol-soluble. So we use alcohol, and then like for your product, we're we're taking all that alcohol out at the end so that there's no alcohol content left, but we still do the alcohol extraction process. It'd be way easier if, 
you know, you came to us and you're like, yeah, we want this product and we want it to be safe for dogs. So no alcohol. And we'll be like, great, we'll just do a hot water extract, which is what most companies are doing. And I said, no, I want them to be potent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and what we found was that, is that, you know, the alcohol is pulling something in every scenario I think where the short-sightedness comes in is that sometimes we just don't know exactly what it's pulling, but it's kind of like that same idea with, with like CBD and cannabis and like the entourage effect was like, I'd rather get you everything from those mushrooms and have them in there because I think, you know, we know from a traditional perspective that they're beneficial for all these different things. We have a small set of secondary metabolites that we've identified and been able to say like, oh, these are these are the ones that are helping to increase the nerve growth factor. Or these are the ones that are helping with increasing the immune health. But we don't have the full picture of it, right? So it's like, I've heard that a lot and I think about that a lot with lion's mane, right? Because we have people, you know, people all the time come to us too and are like, do you guys test for the arenacine content or the heresinone content in your lion's mane products? I was like, uh, no. Who, do, you, do you know anybody who tests for that? Because the standards are impossible to find, um, one. And then two, it's really myopic to think that that's the only thing that's going on in those mushrooms that's helping helping people. And for sure, I think that it's one one of the things. Right. It's just like cannabis. We're testing what? Six cannabinoids. So what all we can say is if you see those, including that THC, then most likely it's going to be a full spectrum hex extract. Yeah. But we can't you I haven't even started to tell you about all of the other compounds in cannabis yep. that do all these amazing things. And you have that you have to have all those things to make the cannabinoids do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So I absolutely understand this concept, which is why it took me so long to find someone like you who anytime I heard anyone or asked them, I mean, I, I literally all I have to do is say, How do you extract? And I I get the answer right there. Yeah. So that's why it was so important to find someone who actually knew what they were doing. And how the hell do you know what you're doing? Like, (laughs) explain to us, what is a myco? And this is what I lied. I understand what an alchemist is. Those of you don't know, my company's name is House of Alchemy. So everything, how it's supposed to be grown, how it's supposed to be harvested, how we're supposed to, the energy of the plant, is it is it getting what it's supposed to? Meaning, when I heard the mushrooms I was using before never saw sunlight or rain, mm-hmm. I felt like, well, gosh, isn't that like two of the most important things they should be getting? Mm-hmm. Don't mushrooms don't even get vitamin D unless they're exposed to sunlight or ultraviolet light? But uh, hold on, I'm getting off on a tangent. First, I want you to explain. How you ended up, I mean, you told us a little bit, but what is a mycoalchemist? And then what the heck is spagyric? Yeah. What is that? Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, so my background actually, as I kind of mentioned before, is in natural medicine. And I've uh, studied natural medicine from various different disciplines. Um, But one of the first ones that I got into before I really dove deep into the herbs and their applications was... um, the study of hermetic alchemy and like kind of like looking at looking at that traditional pathway of alchemy and then uh, the art of transmutation, so to speak. Um, I I would you know uh, 
have a hard time referring to myself as an alchemist, but I am comfortable calling myself a spagyricist. So um, spagyrics draws from that path and that tradition of hermetic alchemy um, where you are making a full spectrum extract of the the original being. And there's like there's a huge rabbit hole. I mean, I do three-hour classes just talking about spagyrics, right? Um, but... On the most basic level, spagyric, it breaks down into spao, as S-P-A-O, and then agiro. So spao is to like separate or break apart, and then agiro is to recombine or or like reawaken is another way that I've heard it um, translated from Greek. What you're doing from a philosophical perspective through the lens of alchemy is that you're breaking the plant material, the mushroom material, you know, the minerals, whatever you're working with is composed of three primary elements, which is known in alchemy as the salt, the sulfur, and the mercury. Practically what that translates to is like the body, the soul, and the spirit. And then what that translates to in like plants is like the body is like a complex of trace minerals from the plants or the mushrooms themselves. The soul is like the essence or the essential oil. It's like the individual nature of the plant or the mushroom. And then the spirit is like the the universal kind of like menstruum or the universal identity of an entire sort of uh, kingdom, essentially. So that's actually where we get the term spirits when we when we talk about like alcohol uh, comes from the spirit of the plant realm is no, also known philosophically as its mercury, ah, cool. right? And so anytime that you ferment and then distill off of a, a plant material, then you yield the the spirit, which is oftentimes an ethanol. And so ethanol is kind of like the universal menstruum of the plant realm. And that's kind of like why we make tinctures out of out of ethanols, because then it's drawing the soul or the essence from the other mushroom. So that's kind of like the quick and dirty breakdown of what a spagyric is. You can get you can I get, love it. You got it down. I love it. You can get really specific, right? It's like you can t- kind of take each of those pieces and break them down really specifically. What it means for our process with the spagyric tinctures is that we're doing the extract. So technically what we're doing is a three-part ex- extract. So we do the Alcohol extraction, um, first, it kind of helps to break down the cell wall even more and make those polysaccharides even more bioavailable and accessible. And then we do the the hot water extract. Also doing the alcohol first is a little bit of a lower temperature so that it lets the, um, it lets the more volatile compounds be extracted without being driven off by water. We're also doing all of our extracts in a closed-loop system, which really helps to kind of maintain the overall integrity and capture some more of those like subtle volatiles that are there in the mushrooms as well. So then at that point, we recombine the alcohol and the water extract. And then what really sets us apart even more than what we're already doing on multiple different levels is that we then take those mushrooms at that point when people are making tinctures, they just throw them out or compost them. I'm not really sure. I've kind of like lost track of what people do with plant material they've extracted. But what we do is we take them and then we burn them into a really fine ash. So we've got our, our tincture with all of the compounds that we're after from the mushrooms. And then we've got the mushrooms that we've extracted everything from. And we take those mushrooms and we burn them into a really fine ash. And then we leach the mineral salts from those mushrooms. So basically what we're doing 
is getting like a complex of trace minerals from the mushrooms themselves and then reintroducing that back into the tincture. Very cool. It's kind of like it's kind of like one of the most um, early modes of of pharmacology and the term spagyric was invented by this fellow named Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. What? Um, he sounds like a rapper or something. I love it. <laughs> Better known as Paracelsus. Oh yeah, he was definitely anti-establishment um, back in the day. Nice. But he liked to make up words and so he's also known as the the father of modern pharmacology as well. And so, um, but he primarily worked with herbs, um, but also like minerals and metals um, in, in alignment with sort of the traditional alchemical path. And I think a lot of people kind of, while we're on the topic of alchemy, have this misnomer that the goal of the alchemist was to make gold out of lead, which is a gross oversimplification of what the practice of alchemy actually was, which is more in alignment with um, observing the patterns of nature and following those patterns of nature and then replicating that natural process of evolution and transmutation within the microcosm of the space that you're operating in um, while also kind of observing the macrocosmic patterns of the astrological forces, how they're moving, um, things like that. So the goal of... I feel like the goal of any anybody who pursues alchemy with any humbleness or or earnesty is to produce medicines, um, not to turn lead into gold. I love that. So for those of you who are listening and those of you who know that I formulate products, um, I hope you now know why this is my mushroom guy. <laughs> um, that that should make it. It this was a a very long process. And I think what, you know, besides everything you just said, before you had said that all to me, one of the first things I like to do when, before I work with someone is I asked them what their, what their goals are. And you told me your goal was to keep the mushroom farmers in business. I was like, I'd love to help you do that. <laughs> so yeah. I am, um, I, I feel extremely um, grateful that I found you and that, that you continue to do the right thing with creating mushroom products for not only medicinal mushroom products for humans, but now for, um, for me, for our pets, because it is, uh, it's just getting scarier out there. And I feel like we need to keep on educating, which is why... We're going to continue this conversation and do a part two of our podcast because we haven't even talked about some of these medicinal mushrooms, which ones we have already seen, how they, we basically have learned, and what I'm learning with just about everything, is that what works for humans works for our pets, especially for our dogs. Um, the only thing so far that I have found is that dogs, besides having more receptors than we do um, in their endocannabinoid system, which makes it even easier for us to know that whatever dose works for us is probably going to be a, on the high end for them, which I love that. And every time we're talking about a plant or a fungi, it's all natural. And it would be really hard for us to cause any damage to anybody. So we have no fear of overdose or uh, killing them or them, you know, ha having a heart attack or the, the some of the awful things that happen when we take these pharmaceuticals or give our dogs these pharmaceuticals. So I keep saying it, guys, cannabis and mushrooms are going to save the world. And before we go, 
I want you guys to stay tuned because it'll be on the next one. But what we're going to talk about next is we're going to talk about some of our favorite medicinal mushrooms, why we put them in a tincture for a pet, what they help. And then we're going to talk about what happens when you put these several mushrooms together. Like why would you want to take three instead of just one? and what those benefits are. And then we're also going to, um, we have lots of questions from our listeners about it um, because they literally have nowhere else to go to get the answers. So that's why it's so important. I appreciate taking the time to help us understand, um, help my audience understand. And then it's not just coming from me. I'm the cannabis expert becoming the mushroom expert. <laughs> you are my mushroom expert. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, Jason Scott, feral fungi, he's the greatest. We're going to continue this on a next uh, podcast. So be sure to tune in for part two of mushrooms for dogs um, and how they can help them and um, send their life, basically, uh, and not have to take a, a pharmaceutical or even a synthetic supplement for that part. So stay tuned. Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for listening. Make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, and share with your friends. And if you want your questions answered live, make sure to call in to 252-377-4555. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and at AngelaArtolino.com. And remember, you can always sign up for a full holistic consultation at cbddoghealth.com slash consultations. Introducing MycoDog, an award-winning line of medicinal mushroom extracts combined with adaptogens like ashwagandha, astragalus root, and bacopa monieri made specifically for your pets. When it comes to mushrooms, sourcing really matters. Unlike other products on the market that are grown in China or elsewhere, the mushrooms in MycoDog tinctures are grown here in the United States to the highest quality standards. MycoDog offers three formulas designed to support senior dogs, as well as those suffering from dementia and canine cognitive disorder, breathing and respiratory issues, or autoimmune diseases and cancer. Use coupon code YNDPODCAST at mycodog.com for 10% off these fantastic fungi.